Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. And thank you for listening to this show. And if you like this episode, please do subscribe. Excitingly awesome guest today, Dr. Karen Wyatt. Dr. Karen Wyatt, for 25 years, cared for patients as a hospice doctor in nursing homes and homeless shelters, and she learned spiritual lessons from them at the end of their lives. Dr. Wyatt was inspired to write her book, What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying which offers the seven key lessons the dying taught her, including suffering, embrace your difficulties, and love, let your heart be broken, that's a hard one, to forgiveness, hold no resentments, and impertinence, face your fear. Dr. Wyatt also hosts End of Life University podcast, which features conversations with experts who work in all aspects of end of life care. She teaches that in order to live life fully, we must each overcome our fear of death, and embrace the difficulties that life brings us. This is her story and this is her passion. Dr. Karen Wyatt, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you today. I'm, I'm so happy and thank you so much for being on the show. I always like to ask the guests just to um, start it off, just to give a bit of a background about how you got into working in, in homeless shelters and hospice care and working with the dying or what even led you to, this is too many questions, what even led you to medicine in the first place? Well, I knew from the time I was very young that I wanted to be a doctor. I don't know why. I just got that inspiration at a young age. And so I studied in family medicine, which is kind of general practice and was very happy in that profession for the first few years until tragedy struck my life. So it was tragedy that brought me over to hospice work when my father died by suicide. And wow. so I was completely devastated with my own grief over his death, but also with guilt because as a doctor, I had studied some psychiatry and I really felt that I should have been able to help my dad. Like, How could I help other patients if I couldn't help my dad somehow, one of the people I loved the most in the world. So I was just shattered after his death and really struggling to find my way through that grief. And one day I got, just got the inspiration to call hospice and see if they might need a volunteer because I thought maybe if I immerse myself in death and dying and grief, I will be able to find my own way out of it, like diving into the deep end of the pool, I guess. Mm. And um, so I started as a volunteer in hospice and then uh, I fell in love with that work, being with patients who were facing the end of life. And so, um, so I ended up eventually shifting completely into that line of work. Wow, grief. <laughs> I haven't experienced death of a loved one too much yet, but grief is such a, incredible powerful thing so many people ask me how do i how do i get rid of my grief how do i move through grief is there anything to alleviate grief that is all consuming what is your advice well what i had to learn is that those the years that i was struggling so much 
I was trying to avoid the grief, actually. I was thinking that I could just make it go away by willing it away. And I remember that I used to wake up every morning and think someday I will wake up and I will feel exactly like I felt before my dad died. And so I was constantly clinging to the past and wanting to go backwards, thinking if I can just go back to that time, everything will be okay. And it was when I got involved in hospice, I realized that's not how it works. You can't escape it and you can't go backwards or avoid it. You have to go into it and feel the pain of it and allow yourself to sit with the pain of loss and the pain of grief um, for a while because that's how you gradually work your way through it and find your way to something else on the other side. And you have to allow yourself to change. You can't keep trying to be who you were before. You have to accept that loss comes to us as a motivator for changing us and helping us grow. What a beautiful explanation. Thank you. I'm feeling a bit sad now. Oh. <laughs> does, <laughs> no, no, no. It's all right. um, does grief, I mean, so someone who's lost someone, it gets easier. You don't still have those, that grief that overwhelms you with the loss of your father. Yes, yes. In fact, over time, um, I, I was able to just carry that. And there's still, of course, um, pain there if I look at that and I miss my dad still but I was able to make more and more sense of it and see more and more meaning in his death over time and that's that was the most important thing that happened is just the healing that comes with time and that seeing that life does go on and that there is there is a life after my father's death and it still has beauty and meaning and value and in fact my father's death was one of the greatest teachers for me in my life Mm. And that's got to segue me onto suffering and it's suffering is such a powerful fundamental thing that we as humans all experience. Why, why do we suffer so much? Well, this is just my own, my own thought about it. That sure. In a way, you know, if as, as they say, we're spiritual beings in a, having a physical experience, like we're spirit, spiritual beings first mm -hmm. and we've chosen to embody into physical bodies that it's really this, physical life here on planet earth that has suffering woven into it you know there's no way to there's no way to avoid it that it's part of life here on planet earth things die everything in nature can get sick and die and get injured and that maybe we choose it as spirits we choose to come here intentionally so that we can experience suffering and learn how to carry it and how to grow from it so to me, that's what I began to see is that the times when I've suffered have been the times when I've learned the most and I've changed the most and grown the most and even become more my true self, more who I really am. So it's helped me embrace the idea that it's, it's okay. It's okay to go through the pain of suffering and, and work our way to the other side. I'm just thinking about what you said in pivotal moment it's in my life when I've suffered and no one wants no one wants suffering but it, it, it certainly um looking back it was not a wonderful experience but definitely an expansive growing experience I can't imagine what it's like working in a hospice not only the emotional suffering of grief but also patients at the end of their life that physical suffering as well that must be very hard to watch yeah. and as a family member or even as a doctor? 
One of the best parts of being in hospice um, is that we have a lot of training in how to alleviate suffering. So we really have a lot of tools to use. And that feels like the most powerful mission we have in hospice is to help alleviate suffering as much as possible for the patient and also bring comfort to the family. But then the side benefit of that is that people at the very end of life um, so many of them have really amazing epiphanies and transformations that they go through as they're looking back on life and thinking through life and how, you know, the things that have happened and how they were connected and what a difference it made. So while we're there helping to comfort them, they're teaching us about <laughs> what is important in life. And that's why I ended up writing the book because the, the teaching I received from the patients was so profound. Well, I'd love to talk about the book and I love the title and it, it sounds like a very profound book um, and, and, and the seven lessons, if you wouldn't mind discussing that and you've already just said why you um, thought about writing the book or started writing a book, but if we can dive a bit more into the book, I'd love to discuss that. Yes, yes. Well, um, the first lesson that I started with is that lesson we talked about of suffering, because mm -hmm. for me, that's what I had to understand about my own grief over my dad's death. And being in hospice and being with lots and lots of people who were going through death and dying and grief made me realize that um, I had to stop having self-pity and feeling sorry for myself that my dad had died, because death it enters everyone's life at some point or another. And so suffering is part of it and death and dying is part of life. And once I got through that point, I realized in a way it's important that we do embrace all of the difficulties and suffering that comes to us in life because that's the only way we can move on and make something better from, from what has happened. Because fighting so, it, as you said, or ignoring it, unfortunately, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah, and it can make you crazy and it can exhaust you completely if you try to try to resist it and fight it. And for me, the next lesson that came along was the lesson of love. So that's lesson number two, because I saw, first of all, all of my patients talked about love and how they came to see at the end of life that love was actually the thing that mattered to them more than anything else, who they loved and who they were loved by. And the patients with regrets always felt that they hadn't loved enough. They hadn't told people they loved them or they hadn't cherished relationships that had been part of their life. They'd been careless with relationships and, and abandoned people in their lives. And so I realized that once I got through my suffering over my dad's death, I actually felt like I had so much more capacity to have compassion and love for other people. I was actually able to love better and more deeply because that going through the pain of loss sort of opened my heart even more um, for other people and for being able to love. So, so that's the second lesson. And then you, I just want to touch on the loved one. You talk about how important it is to have a broken heart. Yes. In a romantic sense, I'm assuming. Uh, romantic, but I think other parts of life can break our hearts too. Cause, right. And I felt that way after my dad died, like I, my heart was just broken that he had died. But that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like actually what made me more open and more have a greater capacity for having compassion for other people and for seeing other people in pain 
and knowing what that pain is and being willing to engage with them and to to be be with them and sit with them and uh, while they were going through that experience. Mm. I'm just thinking these are all experiences no one wants, but you're right, they do crack your heart open and they let in more growth and expansion and light and all those things that we desire and come here for. Yeah, and as you said, they're the they're the things that we don't want and we dread. But in the <laughs> end, if we can let down our guard just a little bit around these things that life brings us, we in some ways we can enter into them more quickly and more easily in a way, and uh, and begin to to start learning these lessons. And the third lesson that I think goes hand in hand with love is the lesson of forgiveness, because. The more we love, the more we really will be asked to forgive because everyone that we love will somehow disappoint us or hurt us in some way. And so I feel like those two really come t- together. Yeah. And, and um, so that's been a big practice for me. And for all my patients, I saw them working on that also at the end of life, figuring out how do I forgive other people for things they've done or how do I forgive myself? for mistakes I've made in the past. Mm. And then I think the other one was fear, moving through fear. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the, the seventh lesson. Was, oh, prob- sorry, not in order. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. jumping ahead. Excuse I me. Make it, it doesn't, I can go through in order or, or skip around. It doesn't matter. But yeah, so the next lesson after forgiveness is just being present, which we talk about a lot in spiritual circles is being in the present moment. But I found that being able to forgive the past helped me be more present because I wasn't keeping all my attention and energy focused on something that went wrong in the past. I was able to let that go. That really helped me be more present Uh, right here right now in this moment and um, that leads in a way to purpose because once we're living more in the present moment we're also more tuned in to what am I here to do what is what is life about and we have to be able to connect with the present moment in a deep way in order to start to get the intuition and the guidance and the hints that tell us what we're here for and maybe our passion, as I think, as I think yeah. you would say. Sometimes we can't hear it because we're so preoccupied with what went wrong in the past that we don't hear what the messages that are coming to us right now in the present moment. So from there, we go on to the lesson of surrender, which is learning to just let go of our attachments and our expectations to how things should be and accepting what is and how, how things are right now in our lives. And then the last lesson is um, the lesson of impermanence and accepting that everything changes in life. Uh, there are, everything is constantly changing and nothing really lasts. So accept love. <laughs> so that we have to get used to that part of life, that things will always change and we have to be prepared and ready and willing for change to happen. Absolutely beautiful. These are all universal truth, truth and fundamental to why we're here in our existence. So I just love how you've um, composed them all together and explained them in a really beautiful way and in your incredible book. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's interesting because the inspiration did come from just sitting with patients and hearing them talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, about their experiences and about 
how things look to them from that vantage point. And the rest of us don't have that same vantage point of knowing I'm at the very end and I'm looking backwards now and, and it's all making sense. I'm putting all the pieces of the puzzle together of life in a way, but knowing how they, that they could do it and that there's an opportunity to put it all together at the end of life made me realize, what if I started trying to put the pieces together now? <laughs> it started to fit this together and started to understand what's important in life right now. I guess uh, just go, and be the best version of yourself you could be and offer others so much hope as well. Yes, yeah. And I love that idea of in each moment trying to be the best me I can be, even though, you know, a year from now, there might be a better me that I'm able to be then, but it's whoever I am right now that's, that's important. Beautiful. I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned briefly. You're just in your opinion, obviously, well, this shows about you today. <laughs> um, we do you believe in reincarnation and do we come here in this life for certain purposes or passions or? Well, I, I believe that we come here to learn and I can easily, I can accept the idea of reincarnation. It kind of makes sense to me, mm -hmm. but I do believe that there's a, a, I believe there's a spiritual realm or that our spirits somehow go on after the physical body dies. And that's from, again, from being with a lot of patients who are dying and hearing them talk about seeing loved ones in the room who are there with them or who've come for them. And, um, you know, that tells me there's something beyond just this physical existence. So I really do believe there's more to life than that. And then I believe that this, there's a spiritual purpose for us to be here. It's not just, you know, it's not just our going through the physical aspect of life, but just what we see with our eyes is much yes, more. Exactly. And I mean, you talk about all these fundamental truths and suffering and all these importances I know the American Indians talk about when someone died, dies, it is actually a blessing to those ones that are left behind as hard as that is. Have you found that as well? And it's interesting because on a personal level, I found that with my own mother when she died, which was, um, it's been seven years now since she died. Um, so that was, um, my dad's death was sudden and couldn't prepare for that at all. My mom's death was gradual. So we had a lot of time together to prepare. And her death really felt like almost like an accomplishment <laughs> because of the way she lived her life. And she was prepared to die and ready to die. And I honestly, there was this moment of joy, like she had finished her journey and she was moving on. And, and I don't know the joy that came when she was at the very end of life, along with sorrow, it somehow transformed me. And I don't, I, it's hard for me to describe, but somehow I let go of every little shred of anger I'd ever had at my mom or any blame or hurt or negative feelings toward her. It's, it, it was really powerful. And so I love that idea of saying they leave behind a blessing because that's really what it felt like to me. I, I was able after her death to just move on and be completely free of old, old issues that I carried around for a long time. Hmm. I might have to reflect on that myself, actually. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, Many people are fearful of death. 
I guess the question is why and people that are in the hospice and are imminently dying, do you find many of them at a certain point when they have to surrender, they're not so fearful anymore? Yes, I, I was very impressed that most of my patients seemed to lose their fear of death the closer they got to it. And so I think they were really beginning to have more spiritual experiences when they would um, sleep, or which they spent a lot more and more time sleeping in, in a dreamlike state. Mm-hmm. And seemed to come back from those states when they would wake up as calmer and more aware um, that something beautiful was happening for them. And that was very reassuring to, to witness that as they uh, went through that experience. Um, but it's, it's commonplace in our society for us to be afraid of death. And our society is really hides death from us. We don't experience it in the way um, you know, people in India, and and actually over a hundred years ago in our society, people used to die at home, and we experienced death even as children of loved ones in the home, mm-hmm. and even held wakes and funerals in the home. So death was much more part of everyday life. But now we live lives that are really kind of sanitized from death. We uh, we are able to hide it from view, so we we haven't grown up being aware of death and being familiar with it. And that's why for many of us, it comes as a shock when someone we love, we find out is going to die or when someone has died, we're just not prepared for it at all because we haven't given it much thought. And so one that's part of my mission is to encourage people to read these stories about patients in hospice who are facing their deaths and also to see that that time can be really beautiful for people and really transformative to help people have less fear about their own death when it does come, but about death in general. And so my thinking is the first first way to deal with fear around death is simply to get educated about it, maybe by reading, um, by listening to conversations like ours, just yeah. and, and being able to talk about it a little bit more. But also to experience it. So if someone does have a loved one who's dying to not, maybe it's, um, you know, an aunt or uncle or someone a little bit more distant than the immediate family, to take those opportunities to go and visit and be there and be with that person, to not be afraid of those situations, because you can learn so much, even in just a short visit and and being with someone, it can help you so much with the, that fear. Mm, that's, a, that's a great point. And on that point, I also wanted to touch on someone who potentially has been diagnosed with certain diseases or there is the potential to die that is very fearful. Um, what's your advice to those people? It's, it's somewhat similar in the idea that we, we have to be able to look at the possibility of death because we don't want to run away from it even while we're sick and hope and hang our hopes on um, maybe too many treatments or or futile treatments trying to ignore or avoid death but to accept well it's possible that I could die from this and that's a reality everyone dies someday it's possible I could but meanwhile I want to live as much as I can and if we're constantly in a state of fear of death, that actually really interferes with enjoying life in the moment and making the most of life. So I feel like it's important to be able to 
for all of us, even, even if we don't have a, a terminal illness right now, to know someday I am going to die, but meanwhile, I'm going to live the best I can right now and get everything out of life. And I think that's the attitude we need to hold on to. And if we're overwhelmed with fear, it's hard to get to that place where, where we can say, I'm just going to live every moment I can right now. Mm. Interesting. And I, this is kind of left of field. And I know you're a doctor. There's a lot of theories about this, that particularly with disease, it's created, obviously it can be genetic, but it is created diseases from an emotional standpoint as well. What are your thoughts on that? And people have asked me a couple of times, I have this diagnosis. If I change my whole life, if I change my perception on reality, can I remove this disease that I've been diagnosed with? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I see it as a big, complex picture with lots of different mm-hmm. factors that lead to illness and disease. And so I, there's definitely an emotional component and a spiritual component for all of us. And definitely um, lifestyle, you know, even diet and exercise and how we live our lives, um, how committed we are to integrity, to living a, an authentic life, I think. All of those are factors. And again, you mentioned genetics, that can be a factor as well. Um, But I still think there's a mystery about illness. And for some of us, and you know, for some of my patients, I just, they lived absolutely the best life they possibly could. They were the best people. They took the best care of themselves and still they got a terminal illness. And no matter what they did, it didn't go away. And so in their case, it was, I just don't want to give people a false hope that if you do this list of things, your disease will go away because not necessarily. Some of them um, began to feel like one of my patients said to me, she had breast cancer and she said, I understand now that my breast cancer is the most important thing that happened to me on my spiritual journey. And um, because it's helped me learn so much that I need to know. And she said, whether I recover from it and live longer or whether I die in the near future, it doesn't matter because I'm learning every day from this process I'm, I'm going through. That was profound to me. That Talk she, about surrender. Wow. Yeah, that she could be in that place. And so she, she was just remarkable. She, she, had, she lived for seven years um, with her cancer. And meanwhile, she had so many deep talks with her children and her husband, like they were all so bonded and so prepared for what was going to happen. And I saw her a few days before she died. And she whispered to me, I'm not sad. Is that okay? And um, I said, yes, it's okay. And she said, because I always just assumed that when you're at this place, and it's time to go, and she that you would just feel sad about everything you were leaving. And she said, but it all feels perfect. It all feels like I've had the perfect life that I was meant to have, and I'm not sad about it. And again, that blew me away. That was so amazing to hear her have that realization that this is how it is. And I accept it all. And it's, I'm not sad about it. And I'm not scared. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready. This is what life has brought to me. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. But... What an amazing perception on life. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. I'd love to hear if, if, if you 
be happy to talk about it. Some other patients that really have had a profound impact on you. Uh, oh gosh, there were so many. Um, one patient. I just have to say, I'm sorry to interrupt. You are remarkable. What you're doing, amazing, oh. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I, I, you know, I accept that with humility because the work itself is so gratifying, and I, it really was my dad's death that made me able to part be part of this work to be able to be to be here and be in this place with patients and so it's i feel like all of it was sort of preparing me and training me to do the work so i'm humble about that but thank thank you um uh one of my patients was a man who um he had cancer of the face that had actually eaten away parts of his face. If you can imagine, it was horrific. He had to wear a bandage that covered his face because um, the appearance was terrible. And I remember thinking before I ever saw him, like, Oh, I don't know if I can go see his face. Like how, how, how will I react? Will I be <gasps> appalled or will I, when I see what his face looks like and will I, how, how will I feel about that? And how does he feel about that? And I, I imagined for myself, if I were in his shoes, I would be so bitter and angry and upset. And I would probably never want to ever see anyone or go out of my house. And yet I walked into his house and he was the most gracious, loving, beautiful person and just welcomed everyone in and loved each moment of his life in spite of having this horrible disfigurement of his face and it just he was just such an inspiration to me that gosh I think that all of these small things in my life matter so much that oh it couldn't possibly go on you know what if what if my hair turns gray like it has now what if, you know what if I have a pimple on my face I you know all of these things superficial things about appearance that I cared about so much he taught me how little that matters and that after I mean as soon as I visited him I can't even remember what his face looked like the disfigurement looked like because all I could see was how beautiful he was as a person and so that told me I want to work on myself so that I can have that kind of beauty myself someday that you know that just glows and shines to other people well I feel you've achieved that <laughs> oh. definitely <laughs> thank you that's that's kind of you I need my tissue box next to me here because I'm trying oh. to stop myself from crying so many times <laughs> um so what in your opinion what happens when we die well it's it's been interesting again this came from just observing patients and the at the very end of the dying process we call it active dying in hospice that's what we refer to it to and it can last three days to two weeks or so it really seems to me that patients at that time are in two different worlds they're partly here in this world but they're also in the spiritual world that i believe in and they seem to go back and forth as at times they'll be completely unresponsive um, no matter what we do or say to them, they seem completely gone, but other times they come back and they'll talk to us. And so it's in those times that they talk about seeing a beautiful light or experiencing love. And for me, it, it's as if someone um, similar to a person who's had a, a near death experience that was really beautiful, the way they talk about it. 
So it, what I have come to understand is those last few days of the dying process, the person is really preparing to leave the body and go full time into the spiritual realm. And they go back and forth for a while as they're preparing for that. And then I do believe that consciousness or the vital force or energy, whatever you want soul, to call it, or the spirit, it. The soul, whatever it is, definitely continues on. And the body just falls away at the moment of death as if, you know, this is clothing that's not needed anymore for the soul. And it, and um, this transformation takes place. And it's interesting how much the body really changes. As soon as the soul leaves, the body almost looks like it was made of wax or not something that was even real in spite of just being animated a few moments before. So anyway, that's how I view it, that there's the soul definitely continues and there's something more that happens. Yes. That's just a lovely way of putting it. I wanted to talk also about the offerings that you have. I think one's called end of life university and the, well, the seven lessons, which is what we've spoken about and wisdom path. I'd love to hear more about that. Yes, I, I, started, I started an interview series long ago after I first wrote the book, What Really Matters. Um, I started, I realized that a lot of people didn't want to read the book because they <laughs> didn't understand anything about death and dying and were afraid of it. So I started interviewing other people who worked in the death and dying field and posting interviews on my website. And, and ultimately it became a podcast. So I still have that as a podcast now called End of Life University. Then through that same title, I offer some courses. I do webinars and workshops from time to time. People can sign up for the mailing list. And um, I'm going to put all your links in the show yeah. notes for everyone that's oh. listening, by the way. Anything that's related to you, I'll put all the links for Thank people you. to connect. Thank you. And then I created this course. It's called the, the Seven Lessons Wisdom Path, which um, it's kind of a deeper dive into those seven lessons. And so there are eight modules, one for each of the seven lessons. And the eighth one is just kind of putting all of them together into one kind of one picture of how when we work on these lessons, if we're really working on ourselves all at one time and our spiritual growth. So it's an online self-paced course that people can take if they want to um, go through and work in more detail on the seven lessons. And I'm just thinking what I love about that. It's not only if you're dying or you have a loved one or a friend that's dying, but even if you're not dying, these lessons are so fundamental and universal truths that I think everyone really should do them. <laughs> yes. That's what I found for me as I, as I was gathering all these stories and observing these lessons from my patients, I started to wonder, is this only something you learn when you're dying, when you're on your deathbed, or is it possible to actually work on these lessons and learn them now? So I experimented with myself for years to see, can I learn more about forgiveness? Can I learn more about surrender if I start working on it now so that I'm already good at those things by the time I do get to the end of life. So after many years of working on my own growth, I realized this is something worth sharing and telling other people about so that they too could start to work on these lessons. And, um, and I think accepting that we'll die one day is part of it. Accepting yeah. that death is just part of this life here on planet earth is kind of where we have to begin 
I just wanted to ask you, since you've done so much work on yourself and created this incredible compendium of um, lessons from the dying, if every, we all experience conflict and contrast, however severe or not severe it may be, if it, if it comes by to you, do you feel that you're much more able to cope with it? Do you embrace it? How, how, what do you do? <laughs> Well, I will say, so say it's with my husband, for example, the person I, you know, I'm most likely to have conflict with initially, I get right into the middle of it and get upset about things, but I'm able to go off by myself and process it because I've, uh, through the way that I work on forgiveness is really trying to take a step back from whatever conflict happened and look at it and understand that like, what was going on with me? What was I feeling? Why did I react? Why did I get so upset about that? Why did I react that way? Then trying to understand what was happening, what might've been happening for the other person. Maybe what was going on for that person at that time? How were they viewing it and what happened for them? And the more I, I can see a bigger and bigger picture of what happened and I can see more clearly, the more easily the anger just goes away. And I realize, oh, well, I was still feeling upset about something that happened two years ago, actually. And I brought it into this <laughs> experience. And, you know, I, I, you know I, I get a lot more clarity. And that's when I can start to see what I need to work on. For me, I use a journal as my tool. I go immediately and I write about it. I write down the whole thing in my journal because um, it really helps me look at myself better. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest with myself in my journal. Like, what was I really thinking? Why did I really say that? And was that a good thing? Or would I like to apologize and get over that? So, so anyway, definitely learning these lessons and learning about forgiveness, for one thing, has helped me a lot with conflict. Because what I discovered with forgiveness is that I already have enough things from the past that I'm working through. I don't want to add more to it now. So I try in the moment, day to day, to resolve things so that I'm not hanging on to bitterness or anger to even more of it and adding layers onto what I'm already working on from the past. So I'm, I, I feel really committed to that idea. I don't want any more of that kind of bitterness. So I want to fix it as quickly as I can. I agree. It's a no thank you from me as well. I find myself, <laughs> I do that as well. So it's almost like people get too caught up in the humanness, the what isness of life. And if you can analyze and detach yourself from it and observe from an outside perspective, it makes it a lot easier instead of being yeah. so involved in the situation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before my mom died and I, I was upset with her. I had, wasn't talking to her about it, but I was feeling upset and hurt by something she said. And one day this thought came into my head, which was, what if it's all me? And then suddenly I realized like, whoa, it was powerful. Like, what if I'm feeling hurt by what my mom said? What if that's actually just me and how I interpret what she said? What if I already feel bad about myself? And so I'm just listening to her words in a distorted way. What if she doesn't think anything what if she's not trying to hurt me what if it's me and suddenly that was mind-blowing because I realized I can fix these things inside of me I don't have to ask her to change I can fix how I'm looking at it and so that was empowering to think if I start with me and what I'm feeling and then how have my own 
experiences in the past colored how I look at these situations I'm in right now? And is it that I am mad at myself? So I think my mom's mad at me, you know? So anyway, that question now goes through my head all the time. What if it's just me? What if this is just me creating this? And I um, I love that. I call it like portals of perception. It's how we perceive things. (laughs) We create our own reality and we create our own story. We're, we're the story of our life. We're the navigator. So again, that's detaching yourself and just observing from an exterior perspective. Yeah. And it's so important right now, everything that's happening around the world and we're going through in our various societies, there's so much blaming going on and so much anger at other groups of people, at least here in the U.S., that's really happening. Everywhere. It's just the wrong thing to do like start with yourself like oh what if it's me (laughs) what if this is my perception of things and how can I alter that so I just don't have to get upset I don't have to be angry at anyone I love that I've asked all the questions I'm just wondering if you there's anything in particular you'd like to talk to the passion harvest audience about well okay I'll I'll say a couple of things please do idea which in a way it sounds mundane or trite because everyone talks about being in the present moment. Mm. But uh, I saw it so powerfully with my patients, how for them knowing that they didn't have very much time left made every single moment of life absolutely precious to them. And, you know, every sunset they had to stop and watch the entire sunset until all the color had faded away. And when they ate an ice cream cone, they enjoyed every single drop of the ice cream and tasted it fully and savored it they didn't let themselves get distracted by other things they were just fully in the moment and as much as before i thought i was you know living in the present moment they really showed me there's a deeper way to engage with everything in life and from there i figured out that i my purpose the whole reason i'm here really is to learn how to live life that deeply. And when I'm doing that, I am my true self. I'm who I came here to be if I'm living in the moment. And I don't have to stop and figure out, should I keep practicing medicine? Should I do this? Should I do that? What's my next career choice? If I focus more on just being in this moment as deeply as I can and being me, I'm already on the right path. I'm already doing the right thing. And and doing what I came here to do. So I feel like that's how we fuel our passion is, is loving each moment of life that we have, no matter how many you get to have. That was so beautiful. You've already answered my last question. If someone wants to follow their passion, <laughs> be in the now. It's such a beautiful message. Really, really. Yeah. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's uh, profound insights. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Dr. Karen White, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. What, I mean, what a beautiful gift you are to the world too. I just want to thank you on behalf of everyone. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's, <laughs> it's my privilege to talk to you. So take Great. care. Thank you. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, Every day, may you be more and more passionate.